0: The NCAA was just handed down a SmackDown, the equivalent of an Alabama versus Little Sisters of the Poor football contest. Yeah, in a unanimous 9 0 decision, the Supreme Court essentially destroyed the NCAA and exposed their illegal business model. If you, like me, believe the NCAA has been a bit hypocritical throughout the years, You're going to love this decision, so I will do my best to contain my glee as Christopher Marone and myself unpack this beautiful, beautiful decision. Now, in full disclosure, I can't stand the NCAA, but you probably have already figured that out by now, so at least I will be having fun in this week's debriefing of the law. This week's guest is Christopher Marone, who is here because I selected Christopher for a reason, and that is we are gonna talk about the NCAA v. Austin case. This is the case where the Supreme Court ruled that co- the NCAA has violated the Antitrust Act when it comes to education related benefits. We're gonna unpack that case in its entirety, but my thought was in order to have an adequate conversation. I have to invite a fellow sports fanatic on to talk and thank you, Chris. Welcome to our show.
1: Thanks, Joel. I love being here, man. In this case, I am super excited about this. This is this is some good case right here. This is a lot of love. Especially working at arguably the best Pac twelve school, you know, in the division and maybe best football team in the world, Arizona State University.
0: That's right. You are an employee of Arizona State University in the Pac-10. I have heard that you guys do play football. I'm not so <laughs> sure because you know, I'm, I'm someone in the middle of the country and your games are on so late. It's hard to stay up that late. Oh. But um, you guys, no, you, you are there at a Pac-12. Pac, Pac what, what do you guys even call yourselves now?
1: Greatest football team in the world. Also Pac-12. <laughs> we
0: Pac-12, play the Pac-12 okay. conference. I get, I you know what I am. I'm so old school. I'm from the Big Eight, which is now the Big Twelve, Big which head. only has wow. ten teams. The Big <laughs> Ten has six. I don't. I get lost and confused. Here is yeah. my point. Uh, this case that we're going to talk about represents the perfect intersection. For people like you and me, because we are sports fanatics, oh, yeah. and we also love the law. So talking about this kind of case, it really gets us excited. I often find myself getting on my soapbox when I when I've talked about this case before. Oh, yeah. I just get going, and I was like Joel, calm down. You, the, the sun will still come up tomorrow. But <laughs> am I am I right? You also are sports crazy, or sports fanatic?
1: Oh, I absolutely am. Absolutely sports fanatic. I've been, you know, following this case since the inception. I do a lot of work here um at ASU when it comes to we have a master of sports law business that I'm I'm involved with here. Like this is this is up my alley. This is something right. that we've been talking about. And then just trying to educate some of my friends who aren't, you know, legal minded to talk about this case and the long reaching effects of, of something like this coming down the pipe.
0: Now, I want to just set the stage because we're going to talk about the law. But before we talk about the law, we got to understand how deeply Americans care about their sports. I mean, it really is in our DNA. It's in our soul. So I'm going to give you just a second to think about your story. My story involves you at least your university, Arizona State University. You see, I am a huge Nebraska Cornhusker fan. And as I tell my kids, who are now 18 and 21, once upon a time, the University of Nebraska actually was good at football. We were at the top of the echelon. That's why we have a sellout streak of over 200 straight games. People care about football in Nebraska, though you could not tell it from recent years. I say recent, the last 20, but nonetheless back in the 90s. Nebraska was on top. I mean, we were amazing. Tom Osborne was our coach. I believe he is part of the Trinity somewhere. Uh, And he, uh, Tommy Frazier, was our quarterback. Incredible. Uh, We had an incredible team. We won, I believe, three national titles there in the in the in the um, uh, in the 1990s. But then the following year, we I believe it was 1998. I could have it off a little bit. We played Arizona State University, and I was in Oklahoma watching this game at the time because I, I, did, I did not miss a single Nebraska game. Nebraska lost nineteen to zero to Arizona State University. I believe your quarterback was Jake the Snake Plumber. I could be wrong on that. I was devastated. I could not even move. My soul was shaking. I was physically shaking. That's how much that loss bothered me. That's what sports does to us. Uh, Do you have a similar or do you have a story that kind of shares shows why you also fit the anatic in the sports fanatic? So
1: I go I go back to the nineteen ninety seven Rose Bowl. Right. Okay. Ohio State, Arizona State. Joe Germain, who was the quarterback for Ohio State, is born and raised in Arizona. He's a local legend. He actually now coaches football at a high school about two or three miles from my house. I get to see him all the time. But okay. Joe Germain was playing for Ohio State, and it was the nineteen ninety seven Rose Bowl. ASU were killing it. You know, everybody's loving it. Um, and Joe Germain in the fourth quarter marches it down at the end of the game and scores a touchdown to win the game 2017. And it's in those moments where you want to, you want to root for Joe Jermaine because he's a local boy. He's in the Rose bowl. You want him to be great. And even past that, he's come back. He's coached in queen Creek, which is a little bit South of Phoenix, Southeast of Phoenix. He's come back to the Valley since his career ended in the, in the NFL. And he's just a really all around great guy. But in that moment, you hate him.
0: Right. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. hate
1: the guy. You hope his leg <laughs> breaks. You want something to happen because he's marching you know, the Ohio state down the field to take away our Rose bowl championship from oh. a well-deserved sun devil team. But then I look at him, I'm like, I love Joe Germain. He's a great guy. He comes and plays, you know, coaches football, comes and talks at the church, does all sorts of stuff. Great guy. Um, but it's in those moments, right. Where you, you, you have the, the heat of battle and you're there and you know, football is probably the closest thing to a national religion that America has.
0: Right. I oh, mean, it is.
1: It it really is. And and we love it. And we both love Saturday college football and we love Sunday NFL football. But as we've seen over the past few years, the NFL is kind of dipping a little bit and we're really getting into college football more and more and more. Seeing these guys come up, paying attention to what's going on with the NCAA, looking at, you know, different players and how they come out. And, you know, it's this is what we live for is college football. And. To some extent, further college sports down the line, college basketball, March Madness, that's always a huge thing. Right. Oh, yeah. love, love March it, Madness. Right? We hate it because, you know, University of Arizona always seems to make the bracket, and we're always, you know, always a bridesmaid, never a now,
0: bride. I, f- I found myself even watching the recent College World Series for softball, and I have no oh, idea. Oh, my gosh. That
1: was so but- awesome.
0: Something about the collegiate athletic experience that I just I love watching, and that actually goes right into the actually the issues of this case. We're going to get there in just a bit. But for you, is it pro sports? Is it college sports? Is it is it both? What place in your sports fanatic you know dashboard uh, horizon uh, w- w- does college sports fit? Do you like it specifically because it is college? So I
1: have a weird ranking system. I'm kind of an outlier. The top level sporting experience for me is spring training baseball for the MLB. Okay. That's the top level for me. I love it. I don't know why. Spring Arizona, all the teams, everybody's playing out. It feels like hope because some you know you know AAA pitcher is going to come in and try to make it to the bigs, um, which you know always has a soft spot for me. But then it's college football. It's, it's totally college football because, and as this case, we'll get into discussing these kids are doing it for the love of the game and the hope of something else. Right. You you know, they think, you know, how many in the case there's like what 81 division one teams, not everybody's making it to the NFL. You're not happening. So this is the last, this is the last moment of, you know, sports greatness that a lot of these players are going to have. And they put it out there on the field every single time. And, college you know college football players and college basketball players and college baseball players in my experience are very good at fan service they're very good to the base they they love the towns they love the areas they love coming out and talking to kids they love being inspirations to help you know we have the ASU um uh special teams punt and field goal teams they come out and they hold clinics every week up until practice starts where they're showing high school and middle school kids how to how to become a kicker essentially Right, now, so we're gonna, they, give, they give so much back.
0: Now we're going to unpack it here a little bit later, but I want to touch on it now since we're talking about it. You know, obviously, the lawsuit was filed. Uh, NCAA right. v. Alston over uh, the compensation, the entirety of the compensation package for college athletes. Well, one of right. the issues that's going to come up in court is this: what spot, what role does college sports play in the overall marketplace of sports entertainment? So when you're watching sports. Why are you drawn to watching a college sporting event? One of the arguments that the NCAA is going to present is, look, you watch college sports because the athletes are not paid. It's amateurism. We're going to talk about that here a little bit later on. I am, though, wondering if if that's the only reason, is it even the main reason we watch college sports? Because I watch college sports because... There's an N on that person's helmet. They are from the University of Nebraska. That's my team. I root for my team, or my KU Jayhawks. I went to KU. That's their team. Whether they get paid or not, I just don't know if that's that big of a deal to me, or at least there's a lot of other factors as to why I am drawn to the college experience. You just pointed out one, which is for the majority of these athletes, this is their curtain call. This is their swan right. song. When we watch a senior play in March Madness and he walks off the court, he's walking off the court for the last time. Yeah. And that has a certain allure to it. Any thoughts? Well, it is because
1: you want to see people give it their all. And everybody loves the Cinderella story, right? Comeback kids. We like to see all that happen. But I played, I played collegiate rugby, and I remember when my last match was. And I remember those feelings. I remember walking off the pitch. I remember the camaraderie of the team. I remember that that missing when I'm, you know, left college and went on to law school and did all that stuff. Like, dude,
0: well, hold on a second. We have been friends for I think six or seven years. This Mm -hmm. is the first time you told me you played college rugby. Why has that been a secret for so long?
1: I don't know. I don't really talk about it as much. Like Americans don't like rugby. (laughs)
0: Like
1: America, that's just not.
0: It's like soccer.
1: Right. It's oh it's totally like soccer. But, you know, I I played for a, a small Northern California school and it wasn't like I was a division one player, it wasn't like I was going pro or even amateur. I just played the club rugby team in, in college and it was a really great time for me. And I'm So the hold end on a second it, here, it really
0: I want my listeners to know this because I, I don't I fail I failed to introduce you properly in this podcast though you have been on before. Right. But um so now I understand you, in addition to being an incredible lawyer, are a former college rugby player. In addition, you were childhood friends with one Aaron Rodgers. Is that correct, or do I have the wrong Christopher Maroon?
1: No, Aaron Rodgers and I went to the same high school. He was two year or two older than me, and we I uh, I played on the same high school football team as him.
0: Did he did he play rugby as well? He did not. He w
1: I'm gonna reserve comments. I knew he a has wimp. more money to sue me than I know. <laughs> all
0: right, all right. Well, that's a side issue. I'm sorry. Let's get back yep. to our real issue here, <laughs> which is college sports. It does hold a certain sp- part oh, of our oh, hearts. Yeah. We we watch college sports, and one of the issues the court had to deal with is why do we watch college sports? And there are a lot of different factors that go into it. Is the fact that they're not being paid, is that if you were going to have a list of the five reasons why I watch college sports, where would they're not being paid fit on that list? It wouldn't.
1: I, didn't, I, I, I don't watch professional sports. Like, I get angry at professional sports salaries. Like I don't know if you know Mandy Machado is worth $300 million or Mike Trout's worth $300 million, but I don't watch them because they're getting paid $300 million. I watch sports because I love competition. I love watching two teams come at it. I love watch. I love the escapism that sports brings, especially coming out of COVID. Like sports were key to just kind of keeping that normal mental state of what's going on. Watching a base, even NBA in the in, in the bubble, or watching you know right. a sixty game baseball season, right? It's it's still it's just part of culture that is American.
0: Cause, right? cause Chris this is actually a huge issue because this case right. is going to come up again oh and totally the issue is. will be litigated. why do we watch college sports and I know the NCAA is going to be trying to make the argument it's because of amateurism if it weren't for the fact no. these guys were not getting paid, we wouldn't care and I'm not sure that's accurate
1: that is that is amateurism has the allure of I could do that too because I'm an amateur. Okay. Right, it has that right. a, it has that allure of these are normal guys. I'm sorry. Baker no, Mason or not Baker, like Joe Burroughs, not a normal guy. Right, right. Not, not a normal
0: guy. Not I can't, I can't, I can't is do not it, anywhere. Joe right. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's dig into the case now. So this was NCAA v. Austin. These these athletes brought this lawsuit against the NCAA, saying their compensation. Approach, you know, the, the compensation package to these athletes violates the antitrust act. Now, we're going to talk about the act here in just a bit, but let's just first focus on the history of the NCAA, why it was formed. Because in in the court's opinion, Gorsuch, who wrote the majority opinion, and by the way, I think you and I both are in agreement, Gorsuch must be a huge sports fan. If you read this opinion. You get this idea that Gorsuch loves sports. I mean, he just really enjoyed writing this opinion. Did you get that uh, that idea?
1: I yeah, I feel like Gorsuch is the guy that taught sports history at the junior college.
0: Okay, right. like, I like that. that.
1: That's that's like he's sitting there in his little tweed jacket and he's just talking to kids about how the NCAA was started. And he's you know back in my day. This is right, how right. college players were, and he—I think he loved every single word of this opinion. Just, it yes. was a pleasure for him to write, even some of the more harsh stuff that he said towards the end of his opinion about the NCAA. Um, but it just felt like it was a love letter to college sports,
0: right? And, and let's—I also think it was doing this. So it definitely showed his love and passion, and so right away I resonated with him. I'm sure you did too. He was one of us a lot smarter than at least me, but oh, yeah, uh, he's one sure. of us. He loves his sports. He loves the law, and he's dealing with, and one of the first things he had to deal with 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 was, I believe, breaking down this idea, this lie that college sports has always been about not paying the athletes that we've always been about not paying the athletes. And he went over the history. And I think in part to tear down that myth. And so he started off by saying, Hey, look college sports. Hey, it started back in 1852. So right there, pre-Civil war era. I'm digging this Harvard apparently played Yale in what many regard as the nation's first intercollegiate competition. And it was a boat race at Lake Winnipesaukee. Now, I have no idea if I pronounced that correctly, but nonetheless, <laughs> it was a boat race on a lake, and that was the very first intercollegiate competition. He made point of that because he then said this. This was not just any ordinary pickup match. It wasn't like the two right. schools that, hey, let's just get together and uh, and just see who was better on the lakes. No, this was a corporate-sponsored event that actually had payment compensation. Now, let's talk about the compensation package. Um, This was a railroad executive sponsored the event to promote train travel to this lake. It is a very beautiful lake, great place to go to. So let's, let's hold this event, and that way we can promote it. And so what did they actually pay? Chris, do you remember what the compensation package was for these athletes?
1: Well, it was all expenses paid vacation up to this beautiful lake, and then unlimited alcohol.
0: Come on, um, right? Limited they, alcohol. They, they, that's how college sports started. Was Great. a free trip to the lake, which you know, that's going to be fun. Oh, and yeah. all the booze you can drink. That is how college of sports started out. One could probably say in snide comments uh mm-hmm. that yeah, we really haven't changed much over the last 170 years. But nope. um yeah, so it just started from there and it is it was about money from the very beginning. Uh, Always it. Yeah, any particular stories that stood out to you?
1: Oh yeah, my my one of the ones was um, the discussion about the guy who had to take a cut and pay. What was his <laughs> right, name? Um,
0: right.
1: um, 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 Hugh, uh, Hugh Mc, McCallie, McCallie? Yeah, Ma- Hugh
0: M- McKinney. McKinney,
1: that's right. He was the he. Every time he scored a touchdown, a booster would leave a little bit of cash under his pillow. And so he was was talking about it in an interview, and I want to say he was like in the late 1940s, 1940s mid-1940s is when he was playing college ball. And he was talking about how if he went pro, he would have to take a cut in pay.
0: Yeah, I believe his quote was, hell, I can't afford to graduate. Right. Because he could not take the pay cut of going to pro football. So that is in 1940. And yet up to that point in time, as Gorsuch pointed out, there was a lot of money already. College football was big business, brought in hundreds of thousands of dollars to the university. Um, the players were often paid, uh, and and the NCAA was formed. So I found this interesting. Back in in the, the turn of the century, President Theodore Roosevelt got involved. Right. He convened a meeting between Harvard, Princeton, and Yale. Because, he said, look, there is a problem here in college athletics. It, th- these kids are being taken advantage of. Apparently, there was a thing called the flying wedge, and I believe that's when you send all your players in a wedge-like formation just running right, right into the defense, and these guys had no helmets. I mean, their protective gear was just a leather cap. My dad oh, yeah. played uh, uh, football back in the day, and it was a leather helmet. And, and so it was dangerous. In fact, seven football fatalities in the 1893 12 football fatalities in 1984, 18 in 1905, and so that's why President Theodore Roosevelt convened this meeting and this meeting to kind of, you know, set some rules, set some standards led to the creation of the NCAA. Right. Well, and,
1: and, and also so, there was the um the the West Virginia law student, right? Where he was a West Virginia law student one week and then he would get he would transfer schools to another college. So that way he could play on their team to beat their rival and then right. transfer back to law school. So that way he <laughs> can finish his studies. I right. mean, yeah, it, ringers have always been in sports. I, I remember being a little kid and we're picking teams for basketball. And we're like, no, no, no. We want the super tall, big kid first. Like right, right, right. No, the one, the one who's way over there, not even playing with us. Hey, Hey Johnny, come over here. We want you to play on our team. We've been doing ringers. Yeah. Ringers is as American as apple pie.
0: And there are stories in the 1970s, 1980s, heck, even just the last decade where athletes are being paid. So paying athletes has been going on throughout the entirety of the NCAA. So to say that the marketplace really cares about this deeply It's somewhat fraudulent. I mean, let's just call it like it is. So back in the early, when the NCAA was just forming, they soon adopted this rule that says no student shall represent a college or university in any intercollegiate game or contest who is paid or receives directly or indirectly any money or financial concession. So that was the rule that they made. Chris, my suggestion is this. Number one, the the viewing public just simply doesn't care about that as much as what you think they do. We care more about you represent the University of Nebraska. I like you. You're on my team. Okay, now you're in Oklahoma. I hate you and despise you. And that's kind of our mindset. Right. We, how much they pay, we really don't care. My second takeaway, Chris, and I want your opinion on this is, this is very self-serving. I mean, this is like we right. want to create this this huge business model and not pay the workforce. I mean, how is this right. not a very self-serving rule that's not really related to the, the product at hand?
1: Well, I, I, I am there with you. And Kavanaugh really rips them for that, right? I think there's a direct quote in the Kavanaugh concurrence. Uh, if I remember correctly, where he says the NCAA business model is flatly illegal in any other industry in America. Yes. And, oh, I
0: love that line.
1: Right, and so Kavanaugh is a little more direct and to the point, and very, very can has a, has a lot of candor with his opinion, whereas Gorsuch is writing this beautiful love letter to the NCAA. Right, right. <laughs> my, my, also my issue with this is the NCAA only has a problem when it is like a payment plan. Like, as an employee of the university, I work. They give me a paycheck every two weeks. Okay. That's the problem that the NCAA has. The NCAA has never had a problem with paying for tuition, for books, for laptops, for tutors, for any of these other education-related expenses. They just have a problem with now paying them a salary for what they're doing.
0: Right. Good, good That's point. what
1: they want because they can avoid the idea, and I think we'll, we'll probably flush this out a little bit later, but they don't like the idea of having now employees of the university –
0: if right, you give right. them
1: you give them scholarships, they're still students. But if you pay them a wage, a whole different world opens up about employee rights and benefits and all that jazz that I don't think the yeah, NDAA right. wants to uncork.
0: And that is an issue we are going to talk about here at the end about what are the ramifications of the court's ruling. You mentioned Kavanaugh's concurring opinion where he said, look, this is blatantly illegal. You can't have a product where, and let's, let's face it. This is big business. You want, might want right. to say it's not, it's amateurism. No, you no. can't call it amateurism. say that's your goal. When that goal is directly prohibited under the law. If you have a workforce a part of a business and this is a billion dollar business right you can't just skate around the law by by promoting the illegal part of of your activity and then he gave all get different kinds of examples which i found hilarious he said like look You can't say, you know what, when it comes to going to a restaurant, I really think it's valuable that food being prepared by by true food uh, enthusiasts. Those who are willing to prepare food at no price. So we're not going to pay our our workforce any money and we're going to call it good. I think he said, how about journalism? Journalism, when they get paid that distorts and perverts possibly their reporting and so we want to promote amateurism journalism and have a workforce of journalists that don't get paid and he had a lot of examples like oh, he that did. yeah uh one after the other and he said no that that can't be your goal that's illegal and so uh, he really shot that down all right so let's um Let's go back to the, the, the case and the issues that play in the case. So these athletes were saying, look, the compensation package is a violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act. Now, there are two different ways in which they said uh, they, they're attacking the compensation package. One is when it related to scholarships, so the number of scholarships and just general compensation, uh, like you know, we're going to pay you for doing this or, or whatever. We're going to give you a scholarship for a, a, a million dollars or whatever. Right. Uh, th- there's there's caps on that. The students challenge that part of it. The students also challenge the ec- the um uh ec- the education related benefits, which right. would, well, well. You're in the school. Explain a little bit. What would education related benefits mean as compared to we're just going to pay you a thousand dollars to score a touchdown?
1: Right. So, education-related benefits: gym membership, housing, uh, food, meal cards, access to tutors, um, laptops, um, phones, um, internet access, paying for people's internet. A lot of okay. anything that you can think of. You know, you have a you have a 21-year-old, 18-year-old. They're going off to college. What's not being covered by scholarship? Dorms, uh, fee. Like they'll pay educational tuition fees, costs related to coming to schools. Um, you know, they can pay for externships and internships when they go do those.
0: What is your edu- car quote, then? Yeah, you education on campus.
1: The car one's a little depending on the ca- like. If you live in a super rural campus, that could be a discussion. But at at ASU, for example, we have the the Devil Rapid Transit System. Right. Okay. We're Sun Devils. Everything has a devil aspect to it. I didn't choose it. It's just the school. Right. Right. Um, so we have the 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 golf carts that you can ring up and say, Hey, I need to go from this campus, this building on this campus to this building on this campus. And because Valley of the sun, right. We're 120 degrees. We're very um, aware of making sure we're getting students safely in between locations for heat stroke purposes. We also have a multitude of public transportation of buses and everything, light rail system, uh, a subway like a, a above ground subway system that allows you know, transportation in and around. So the car one may or may not, but like for something like San Francisco state, that's a commuter college. Okay. There's, there's a light rail, there's a, a monorail system or um, a city car system, a muni system that goes there, but it's a commuter campus. Campus is located all over the city of San Francisco. There's stuff in the arts district or the Castro district. There's stuff at Hunter's point. So you would essentially, you could make the argument that needing a car, not a Lambo or you know a McLaren, but needing a car, a Sentra or a Honda Accord could be an educational expense because of how the school is set up throughout the city.
0: So basically what you're saying is expenses related to your education. And, and, could, and because the NCAA has placed limits on what kind of education-related benefits you received – then that, that, that's a distinct category as compared to just simply saying, you know what, because you're a football player, and scored a touchdown, I'm going to pay you a million dollars. I think another Correct. common example that was given was graduate study. Like, hey, you come play for us. You also can attend our graduate level courses for free. You can become a doctor, a lawyer, or whatever. Uh, those, and expenses associated with that. Those are all education-related expenses. The Correct. NCAA has placed a cap on them. And why that's relevant, as we are going to see, is the court drew this distinction between amateurism and uh, and, and professional sports, and they said, yeah, there might be some something there where the viewing public has uh, cares about the amateurism aspect. There might be something right. there, but that doesn't justify then you uh, violating you having these agreements to restrain. What schools can offer concerning education-related benefits? That's all tied into your education. So that is different than just simply paying them for being, being a professional athlete. All right, so that that is the, the, the distinction there between the compensation packages. Now let's jump to the Sherman Antitrust Act because that's obviously is the basis of the complaint here. It's Section 1, so we're not going very far in the Sherman Act. Right off the and bat. Right, right off the bat, the most basic part of the act, right here, section one, it, uh, the Sherman Act prohibits contracts, combinations, or conspiracies in restraint of trade or commerce. Now, Chris, I have no idea what a combination is. But let's just say that w- this has been interpreted to say, look, any agreement between people, between organizations, between businesses, that's an undue restraint on trade. That's going to violate the Sherman Antitrust Act. And, and Chris, how the courts have interpreted this is through a rule of reason analysis. So right. in other words, they say, hey, courts, we want you just to be reasonable here. Just take right. a look at the market. Is this is what the defendants are doing? Is that an undue restraint on trade? And it's a it's very much just a kind of a like I said, it's a reasonable analysis. It's like, is this an unreasonable restraint? Can we see how this is suppressing the marketplace?
1: Yeah, and I think that's—I mean—Gorsuch touched on it, and that's where the district court really did their job. Like they really put in time, energy, and effort to do a fact-driven rule of reason analysis. They wanted, and and kudos to them because you got—you know—you got a couple judges, justices up there that probably don't understand or love the NCAA and the history of sports like Gorsuch does. These right. are probably a bunch of—you know—not to stereotype too much—but they are probably a bunch of academics being appointed to a district court probably had not. They probably never played college sports. These are right. all assumptions that I'm making. So for them to just dive in wholeheartedly. And I think it was like a 50 page or a 60 page opinion that they put out where they just went step by step over everything right. the NCAA has done. They took, they took massive amounts, 45 to 50 experts from both sides, both the student side and the NCAA. They really did this rule of reason factor of in, discussion and they really got into it more so and gorsuch notes it and so does kavanaugh more so than they should have done and more so than they've done on other cases because they wanted to get this right
0: right I, they obviously the NCAA is involved, college sports is involved, right. and we all hold this near and dear to our hearts so they know a lot of people are going to be very passionate about right. their ruling. And so uh, they did apply this this rule of reason and analysis. and so the first thing that they wanted to note for the record is this that in this marketplace of of sports, right, the especially college sports at the, at the highest level, you know uh, Division one, the NCAA, is a monopoly. And Chris, here's 100%. my thought. I am going to suggest that even though this is a huge opinion and it's 40 to 50 pages and it's an extensive trial, I think when we look back on this, it's really quite simple. I mean, when you actually get to the nuts and bolts of the the legal, you know, the issues at play here, it's really quite simple. The NCAA, come on guys, this is a monopoly. This is the only boy, <laughs> this is the only game in town.
1: Right. And I love how the NCAA tried to gloss over it. Like, yeah, yeah, be- yeah, yeah, we get where we're a monopoly, but we're a monopoly that has gotten all of the school's buy-in. Right. And, the, and the court's kind of like, y- yeah, we know that's how monopolies work. And this is America, right, right. and we don't like monopolies. <laughs>
0: You're a part of the monopoly. Here, here it is: a monopoly right. restrained trade. When you are a monopoly, by definition, you are going to be restraining people from entering the marketplace, the terms and conditions in the marketplace, the prices, because you control everything. You are the monopoly. So you're at the NCAA said, so "Look, we're, we're we're a joint venture, sure." And, and now some joint ventures. And this was offered up during court by the by the Supreme Court. Some joint ventures, by their very definition. Are not an undue restraint on trade. For example, right. I think the example was given. What if you had a joint venture that occupied one percent of the marketplace? Well, yeah, it's a joint venture, but it's one percent of the marketplace. That's not going to impact the market. It's not going to drive prices. It's not going to, you know, dictate wages. It's only one percent. If they go out of bounds, ninety-nine percent of the others are going to correct it, right? So that's right. by definition that one percent joint venture. Not going to be a problem. On the flip side, if you have a joint venture of 100% of the marketplace, okay, almost by definition, that's a monopoly, and that is bad.
1: And that's where we're at, right? 100% marketplace ownership.
0: Exactly. That is what the NCAA is. So then you apply a rule of reason analysis, which is this. The NCAA's rules, did it actually suppress the market? Is it anti-competitive? And Chris, how, how did the court analyze that?
1: They looked at everything. They looked at um, how their contracts went. They looked at um, what is the mark, what is the power that the NCAA has in the market, um, but what what sort of things are they encouraging in the market? They just saw the the complete and utter dom, and that's why they they took so long and they dug into dug into the NCAA for so much is they wanted to really see what is the market of college sports again. Right bunch of judges probably doesn't understand what the market is, and they mentioned that again throughout the entire opinions right that judges shouldn't be the judge of what a market is it, It's too much to have a to have judges dictate what is or what is not the market, but they went in they dug into it they they allowed for all of again the experts they allowed for all of the amicus briefs, they read it all, they went through it all, and they're like they determined that essentially. The NCAA is synonymous
0: with the market. There is no other market without the NCAA. It is the market. And so when the NCAA says, look, we're not going to pay the athletes, guess what the market is? Athletes don't get paid. That is the impact. It does suppress their compensation package. It's almost a duh moment. Like I said, I think we're going to look back on this in three years and go, well, of course that's the law. the the Sherman Antitrust Act is so clear you can't have agreements. you can't have monopolies that is anti-competitive and here the athletes they can't get paid uh, for, for the by these member institutions. Because of the, this agreement. So this agreement is suppressing the wages in terms of employment uh, for the, these athletes. All right, right, so, like I said, the, the, the decision really is quite simple. Oh, Chris, we glossed over this one issue that I want to come back to That is the difference between the two compensation uh, packages that we laid out. So what happened to the district court? The district court said that as to compensation and number of scholarships, well, there is a valid reason why the NCAA can impose a limit on that because the viewing public at, s- at some level does care about amateurism. And so be- given that, those restrictions are reasonable. That's what the district court ruled. All right. the the, the As to the economic-related benefits, the district court said, no, that that, that violates the Antist- Antitrust Act. Okay. Both sides appeal. It goes up to the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit said that, uh, again, basically adopted the district court's uh, reasonings, in- entirety. Well, the the athletes then decided not to appeal the denial of the the compensation ruling, right. but the 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 NCAA did appeal their issue on on um uh, econo- or education related benefits. That meant that before the U.S. Supreme Court, the only issue was about econo- or education related benefits. They did right. not have before them the compensation. Now that's important because this court then could not rule on that. But we can glean things from this opinion that would speak to that other issue. And Chris, really, that's where we're at here, right? Where we're right. at here is how will the Supreme Court's opinion apply to a, a challenge on the compensation limits?
1: I'm telling you right now, lawyers all over this nation should be running to file suits for compensation after after both Gorsuch and Kavanaugh's opinion. I think I agree. the I think the students were uh, cautious. The lawyers for the students were cautious saying, you know, we're not going to see how the court rolls down. You know, we're not going to appeal. We're going to see what's going on because they have many, many instances where they can challenge and bring up cases for compensation. Right. They, They could do that easily. And I think there was a case a few years back. I remember it was college students were suing electronic arts video games. Right, Because Electronic Arts was doing, they were putting out the NCAA football game every year and using names and likenesses and numbers and touchdown celebrations and all that jazz in their game and not compensating the students. And the right. court, if I remember correctly, the court didn't rule harshly against the students, but didn't tackle the issue of compensation. They just kind of played it out or settled. But now we see which way the wind is blowing when it comes to the Supreme Court. One, this being a 9-0 ruling. That has a lot of merit to begin with, yes. right? All the justices got together and decided that this was the best course of action. Now, I know your listeners are highly educated individuals and, and all that jazz, but that's really you know unusual for a, this politicized level of the Supreme Court. If any of us have been alive in the last three years, we've watched Supreme Court justices. We've watched this process become almost like a reality TV show of who's going to get voted onto the court, who's not going to get voted on. Right. right? And so to have the Supreme court come out and in agreement on this decision is very telling about where students, especially NCAA collegiate division one athletes can go back to the court, back to this trough and go, let's talk compensation now. And the court's willing to entertain it. Very clearly
0: another. Here's another reason why I think that they might have made that decision. When you are appealing a case, you're trying to change precedent. One, there's two, there's two schools of thought here. One school of thought is let's go for all of it right now. Let's just win the entire thing. Oftentimes, that backfires because courts will want to split the baby a little bit, right? Give a little bit to each side. So a better approach, another school of thought, is incrementally just chink away at that president one case at a time, one step at a time. Uh, And so here, I think that the lawyers said, you know what, if we go before the U.S. Supreme Court with everything. We don't know how they're going to rule. They might just split the baby and rule both ways because that's kind of the easy thing to do. Uh, now, let's go for the sure win, and then we'll build on that precedent for the next time around. And so I I, I think if they had known the court would have ruled 9-0, they might have went for the entire thing. I, it might have oh, been a, a mistake oh, yeah. in retrospect. But that's still a valid strategy to say, we're just going to take this one step at a time, just win a little argument here, and then we'll build on that argument for the next time around. Which, Chris, that's where we are. So you're saying if, if you are a lawyer for these guys, you, you're, you're at the courthouse steps almost today filing that lawsuit on compensation because, let's analyze it. How do you think the court would rule? Uh, if you were a Supreme Court judge, and this case comes before you over the compensation of athletes, can the NCAA agree amongst its member institutions to not pay athletes cold hard cash for scoring touchdowns and making baskets? How would you rule?
1: Oh, the NCAA must pay their their must must play, pay their athletes some sort of compensation for this. The, I agree. The opinion it's, is 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 so well rounded in this idea, and it uses the real world numbers, right? The NCAA in 1984, they had a, a billion dollar TV contract in 1984. Now right. let's fast forward almost 40 years. It's only grown. College football has only grown. Bowl right. games, right? Fiesta Bowl, the the was it the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl and the the you know the Subaru Outback Sun Bowl. It, the corporate sponsorships are incredible. The entire football organization of the Oregon Ducks is owned by Nike.
0: Right, there, is, right, right. there,
1: there's, there's not, and you have these magnet schools, which I know we're going to touch on, right? The future of college sports, but you have these magnet schools that are just feeder colleges for football players. You have one in Corona, California. That's a feeder college for UCLA and SC. You have all like college is big business. And Kavanaugh th- th- is
0: huge just, business, and to suggest it's not a business is, is almost fraudulent. I mean, it's almost right. sanctionable for a lawyer to go before the Supreme Court and say, no, we're not a right. business. We're just simply about educating these students. And right. I, when they tried to make their argument during oral argument, one of the justices, I believe, laughed at them, said, what? If, just, if your goal is education, you're failing, because athletes graduate at a, about a 17% rate, so if that's your goal, you guys are doing a horrible job.
1: Right and i mean it's it's absolutely re- let's let's look at asu because all of this is public information you can look it up online highest paid employee of asu herm edwards okay. football coach he is right. paid more than the president of the university
0: <laughs> right right Big, billion-dollar business. Don't tell me this right. is not a billion-dollar business. The the heads uh, of this business get paid millions. Right. The coaches get paid millions. The assistant coaches get millions. By the way, that's a million more than the Calc 1 teacher gets paid. Uh, right. Yeah, these are all being televised. This is, this is a business. And the only right. ones not getting paid are the actual workforce. And so uh, right. the Supreme Court is just simply saying, look, guys, let's shine a light on this. This has been going on for way too long. This is just right. wrong. You can't have this business where everyone is getting paid and then agree amongst yourselves not to pay the workforce, and then say we can get away with that because that is our product of screwing the workforce. Like, no, that's not how the law works. Right. You can't have this kind of agreement. Right. So let's do this, Chris. Because I think we're all in agreement that um, this it bodes. This is not a good sign for the NCAA. How can the NCAA move forward from this? There will be another trial. I, I believe if that's the route they want to go. If they want to continue not paying their athletes, there's right. going to be another trial. At that trial. This is going to be the main issue. Why, what is your benefit, your, your competitive advantage for amateurism? Does the viewing public actually care about that? Or is that just simply the most self serving way to not pay your, your employees? Chris, can you get anything from this opinion that the NCAA can use in that second case?
1: No essentially nothing. Maybe if you took the Kavanaugh opinion off of it, left that, and just with the Gorsuch, you could probably massage something nice about amateurism or about, you know, staying true to the sport or wanting to encourage, you know, education. Um, Kavanaugh hits on it a little bit, right? A lot of these college players that are playing in division one schools come from lower socioeconomic class and background, and it's just being taken advantage of of their sports abilities and and whatnot. And um, you could, You could almost make that argument with the Gorsuch side because he's so polite about how he's hammering the NCAA. Right. But you add the Kavanaugh concurrence, which is just Kavanaugh walking in with a baseball bat and hitting the NCAA. Um,
0: (laughs) Nice analogy. Extra points for you. I like that. Sports case, sports analogy. Good job.
1: Right. And so there's, there's not a leg for the NCAA to stand on right now except for the fact, and it gets brought up and Gorsuch brings it up towards the end of his opinion, is that the court isn't saying that there is a hard and fast rule that the NCAA has to follow. What the court is saying is they need to change their rules to better give educational benefits towards the individuals that are playing in sports. If they somehow took that and said, okay, well, we're going to try a compensation package for players. We're going to put them on like student worker salaries, right? For those of you who aren't in university terms, the student workers, like a teacher's aide or a a department aide, they usually come in and do filing or answer phones or kind of just help out with paperwork while the rest of the department is doing other things. So if the NCAA comes back and hires all these players at a a minimum wage salary, right, 15 bucks an hour for some places, 10 bucks an hour other places, 725 other places, they might be able to sidestep that, but they're still going to be paying their athletes just not what they're worth. So does that open the door for a challenge for another marketplace challenge of you're not paying us what we're worth and the NCAA being able to come back and go, look, Gorsuch said we needed to rejigger our rules. We needed to make sure we changed them around and moved them around. And this is what we came up with. This We're following the opinion, exactly what Gorsuch says. We're paying them how now.
0: Yeah. Here's how the Sherman Antitrust would work in that situation. So right. a school can say we're going to pay our employees, our, 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 our athletes, this amount of money. Okay, right. whatever it is, we're going to pay them that amount of money. Right. Then the... Um, uh, it, and that's fine. But let's say they don't pay them what they're worth. Well, then what ha- what those athletes do then is they say, well, then we're going to leave here and go to the other school down the street that's going to pay us a couple extra bucks more. That's how the entire marketplace works. If I don't exactly. like how much Walmart's paying me, I'll go work at Target, right? Because Target's going to pay me a couple bucks more. Right. That's how it works. The problem is, is when all of the, the businesses in this marketplace, in this industry, agree amongst themselves, say, no, nah, let's just pay them ten bucks an hour. And We're not going as long as we have the agreement amongst ourselves. We're gonna, just going to pay them ten dollars. They can't leave and go to another uh, store and get paid more. That's anti-competitive. That hurts con- right. competition, and that's why that is a bad thing. That's why what the NCAA has done is just—it's a blatant violation of the law. All right, right, Chris? There are so many things I want to talk about here. I'm not sure we're going to have time to cover all of them, but I'm just going to jump on a couple of these here and just see where we can go with them. The first one is where does where do we go from here? Now there's one here's one thought, Chris. What the Supreme Court was doing was interpreting the Sherman Antitrust Act, which right. is a very blatant law we we like competition. We are going to uh, all undue restraints on trade are going to be illegal in America. Congress can't fix it. They can change it to say we like amateurism. We recognize that does hold a place in the in the hearts of America Americana. We like our college sports. We like amateurism. Congress can't fix this. Do you think yes, Congress will? No,
1: Congre- Cong- Congress can't deliberate on an arrow to a bathroom, let alone take <laughs> on the entire NCAA unbalanced compensation system. Like.
0: Okay, It's but just that, not going to happen. We all agree, though, that this was not a constitutional issue. This was a statutory interpretation issue. Right. So Congress, if they wanted to, could fix it. All right. Now, here's the next thing I want to talk about. College sports is not the only level of, of amateurism. We also have amateurism when it comes to high school sports. And even below, so how is, if I were a high school, for example, uh, you know, my, my high school, Maranatha High School, where uh, mm-hmm. or my, or my kids went, can they now pay their athletes? And if there was a rule by the local, you know, Kansas high school association saying you can't pay your athletes, is is now that rule unconstitutional or, or illegal?
1: It almost would have to be. It would depend on the market and the business. What are the transfer rules? Like, it, it definitely can be, right? The the short answer is yes. You have right, yeah. And in I think you Kansas, and I have talked about I gotta this. I got to
0: tell you, in Kansas, KESHA the, the the state high schools accreditation board is a monopoly, right? It controls the yeah. high schools. Now there are a couple of high schools not in it. No one's going to those schools, right? You got to be within KESHA, and, and so um, yeah, it's it's gonna be a problem, isn't it? Right. Well, I and wonder.
1: yeah, because then you could start creating the the preparatory academies, right? Okay. We have, right. You could have the um, you could have the Ala- Alabama prep school, right? And all of the Alabama prospects are going to go to the Alabama prep school,
0: and that and would help your schools.
1: That would help your school. It's going to become a feeder, but now you're you're now putting it, you know, six or seven years younger than what they would before. So you're starting kids out at fourteen, thirteen, twelve, preparing to come play football for Alabama.
0: So if there was another school out there somewhere that, or or like a so prep school that would pay the these athletes, then Keisha, for example, I'm using that as an example because I, that's what I'm familiar with. Every state's going to have a similar board. You know, it, The state could then say, oh, no, we're not a monopoly. See, there's a lot of other places for these kids to go. And so this is just how we want to do our rule. And as long as there's a place for these kids to go, then it's not going to – at least that's an argument that they can make. Whether it's successful, I don't know. I think this will be a tricky issue. Uh, at the lower levels when it comes to high school. I'm not sure we've really fully thought through uh, how it's going to impact other amateur uh, sporting events. All right. Right. You and I mentioned the other day, what about transfer rules now at the NCAA? The NCAA has these rules that prohibit people transferring from one institution to another. That would be like all of the... You know, um, Walmart you know, discount stores, whatever. Walmart, Target, Kmart—I don't know the Coles—all agreeing that no, we won't hire any employee from another member institution. We won't let them transfer from one business to the other. That would be anti-competitive. So, how will the transfer rules survive this? Oh, it won't.
1: It absolutely won't. If we start paying, you know, students like employees. That that's the market, right? That that is literally the marketplace. In and Out Burger in California and Arizona and on the West Coast pays their employees eighteen to twenty dollars an hour. McDonald's okay. pays minimum wage. In and Out gets a thousand applications. McDonald's five. Chick Fil A, right? Chick Fil A pays their employees. They don't work on Sundays. They get a thousand applications. That's how the market works, right? Right. Like I'm not I'm not out of out of pocket here, thinking that the market works by we reward people with money for doing a good job.
0: It, it, and- you know, it's fascinating. Um, the, 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 we are now taking the marketplace ideas and placing them on this entire industry that it has never been applied to before right. and say, we're just kind of guessing how, how this is all going to shake out. Another example that you brought up earlier during our, 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 our prep sessions are unions will players now be able yeah. to unionize? There was a case involving Northwestern where the lower court said yes, they can unionize. That never caught on, uh, but now in light of this opinion, we're going to we're going to apply marketplace rules. Why can these kids not unionize? Well, that was
1: and that was the fun part, right? Both Gorshius and Kavanaugh, which historically, as we talked about, have been anti-union, are now encouraging these college students to form players players unions like you see in the NBA, the MLB, and the NFL. They're spe- and Kavanaugh is specifically calling them out going, look, you have players' unions, you have the model, organize, and, and hit is it, it up. It? In and, light
0: of the Supreme Court's opinion, I don't see how these rules prohibiting the unionization of, of student-athletes survives. Right. It's that the, Fascinating. The colleges,
1: right. college presidents and athletic directors right now got to be in marathon meetings. What's going to happen? What are we going to do? How is this going to roll out? The more forward-thinking colleges you're going to see out there are going to, le- are going to lead out and, and try to help the NCAA develop rules that are going to keep this away from going back to the courts, right? Nobody, right? nobody in the NCAA or even in the college world wants this to end up back at the desk of the Supreme Court, right? This case was decided three years ago. We've already had a full class of students roll through an entire NCAA program since this case was originally filed, Right. Right. So it's exactly. a, this is a slow, long, slow process. So how universities, the NCAA, and athletic directors should be forward thinking of how can we help our students that are in our program right now?
0: Okay. A couple more thoughts here I want to throw by. Uh, one, this, th- this case was about football and basketball, men's basketball. Right. We all can agree those are huge revenue sports. They're money generators. We're talking billion-dollar industries. But not all sports are revenue-generating. In fact, a lot of them lose money. And so how does that play into this? And then more importantly, how does this decision impact those non-revenue sports? I think it's fair to say that I'm just going to use college tennis. Tennis is my sport. I love college Mm -hmm. tennis. That's not a revenue-generating sport. No one's paying to see college tennis, right? And so I think it is fair to say that's not a business that is if you want to talk about amateurism that's non-revenue generating you don't op- operate a business to not make money and so that might fit outside of, of this decision have you given any thought as to how this decision might impact the non-revenue generating sports
1: a little bit but i think part of the the issue with this case I, and i think that maybe the non-revenue generating sports right rugby non-revenue generating tennis Uh, soccer, lacrosse, some of those things are not growing, right? Some of those are non-revenue generating. Ping pong. Right. But (laughs) those aren't really the ones that are under attack here. And if if you get, let's say you get all the college athletes together, not just the football team and the basketball team, you're going to, you know, when they unionize or they associate or however they figure out their players, their players association, they're going to be able to develop this. It's going to create, I think it's going to create a new marketplace job, you know, as the union negotiator for the NCAA college union or another way to exploit players, depending on how you look at it. Um, but I think that some of these, there's going to be an offset, right? The, if we go full business with basketball and football, men's basketball, men's football, is that going to free up university funds to, to fund some of these other sports or, is that where all the booster money is going to go? And the booster money isn't going to be spread out against it. It's, I mean,
0: again, you, Mark, you, brought up a, you, you brought up a really good point there that in some of these schools, this money from football, from basketball might be keeping substance. alive these other yeah. uh, sports. And will that now stop? Cause you really have to use that money To pay the salaries of your star quarterback, because if you don't pay your star quarterback, you're going to lose him, and so really more of your money is going to stay within the football program and not fund these other institutions. So that's going to be—it's going to have to be something that either lawmakers or 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 the the court considers the next go around. Because I'm not. I, I'm less convinced when it comes to non revenue sports. I think that is a different issue. I think the problem for the NCAA became when football and basketball became billion dollar industries where everyone was becoming g- g- gajillionaires but the workforce. And that was a problem. You don't see that in ping pong. You don't see no. that, right, in, no. in these other sports. It's just different. Uh, and so i think the courts will will treat it differently again it's a rule of reason and will right. the rules impacting ping pong be reasonable if they say no we want your ping pong players not to make money we don't want to throw that into the whole ping pong realm that might be a reasonable rule in light of of the ping pong market but not reasonable right. when it comes to football and basketball All right. right two more th- well, one more thought here and then we'll give our our, our closing remarks Because this one is really near and dear to my heart. My beloved KU Jayhawks are facing NCAA sanction because someone from a shoe company allegedly gave money to one of the players who didn't even come to us. They then went to, I believe, Arizona State University or no, Arizona. Uh, University of Arizona, not us. Do not mean the other guy. To demean your school, Arizona. Uh, And maybe some of the players went to KU as well, though they weren't really good players for us. And and the NCAA NCAA said, that is so horrendous. How dare you uh, you not police your your sport well enough to know that when a shoe company gives money to an athlete, that that is horrendous. We're going to shut you down. That is so bad. Because in my mind, NCAA, you have a huge freaking plank out of your eye. In fact, it's a barge hanging out of your eye. It's an oak tree hanging out of your eye. You have violated the law for so long and thought that it was good and now, clearly, the Supreme Court has called you to task. Said, "No, you've been. This is horrendous. This would not be legal anywhere else." How can the NCAA now come to places like KU and kind of shake its fingers and say, "Bad on you, shut down," because you did not police your industry to allow a shoe company to pay someone else, you know, uh, a couple thousand dollars? Any thoughts on the NCAA's enforcement ability now that they have been exposed for being an illegal lawbreaker for so long?
1: Oh, they'll they'll run. They'll keep saying that that they're allowed to enforce these rules until until they don't anymore. I don't. I think the NCAA has no problem being a hypocrite because they again (laughs) they like to control the market, right? If shoe companies are giving you know shoe deals or Nike's giving jersey deals or you know and one is picking up people for their commercials, right? Or Spalding is picking a quarterback up and giving him a bunch of money to say he only throws Spalding balls, whatever. Like whatever your endorsement deal is, NCAA can't control that. That's the marketplace, right? That's Chris, individual companies idea. going to individuals to, to promote their products, and that's what they don't like. It is the control over the athletes that
0: they don't have. Okay, you just gave me a great idea. Then why why does KU not bring raise this argument in they have an upcoming case? Why does this uh, and the issue is hey you do not police your um, business well enough to prevent these shoe companies from giving money to these right. athletes? Why does KU then not raise as a defense? Because doing so would have been illegal. Because your your um, rules of prohibiting shoe companies from giving money to these athletes, that violates the Sherman Antitrust. Like you're asking us to do something illegal. Right. Join with you in an illegal activity. We right. couldn't do that. You're asking us to do an illegal thing. How would that not be a good defense by KU?
1: It's a great defense by KU. But right, because, KU, the N- because the NCAA is the only player in the market You can't go against them. Again, the monopoly control that NCAA has that Gorsuch brings up, you can't go against them, right? Nobody goes against the family. You know, you're going to have, you know, Luca Brasi showing up at your house with a horse's head in your bed if you go against the NCAA. Oh, I
0: love it. I love it.
1: Right? They're they're ruling with an iron fist of saying, follow my rules, do what I do, not – or do what I say, not do what I do. And if you don't, we're going to hit you with so many sanctions and rules. You're never going to see another airtime or game minute, or we're going to find your coaches and then they, and they let it go. And and you could uh, see that in the NCAA because look at it like the, and, and this is a, this is a tough one. But if you look at like the Penn state sex scandal, no right. one had a problem with Joe Paterno when he was winning championships and putting up championship teams, everybody, the NCAA looked away Because it was good for business.
0: Interesting.
1: But when it's not good for their business, we're going to find KU. We're going to find University of Arizona. We're going to find University of Oregon. We don't care. You're not good for our business, but we won't pay attention to things that are real problems when it's not good for our business.
0: So many issues from this case going forward. We've we've touched on some of them. We've kind of looked into the looking glass a little bit. Time will tell how... You know, smart we are, or how dumb we are. Uh, one last thought, and then I'm gonna give you the podium to give your final thoughts, and then we'll wrap this up. My final thought is nine zero. This was not a close call. This was nine zero. That's a whooping. Uh, you know, this was Nebraska beating Tennessee in the 1997 championship game, or whatever that was, 63 to a couple points. Uh, this was a, this was a shellacking, and, and so. Where does the NCAA go from here? There is nothing from this case that they can now hang on to and say, oh, but the court did say this. No, the court said nothing. Uh, the only thing the NCAA can take away from this is that the court said, unfortunately, the players did not appeal the other issue, or else we would have slapped you down harder. And so that's all the NCAA has to take from this. So my final thought is 9-0. What, what do you say?
1: My final thought is NCAA, start making some compensation rules. Start, start paying some players, start figuring it out because Gorsuch left that door open. He said, make some rules. We're not saying you have to make the rules or we're saying what rules you have to make. We're just saying change your rules, which by the way, NCAA, you have done a multitude of times.
0: Interesting. All right. So,
1: yeah, I just think that it's time for times. They are a change in.
0: There you go. Those are our thoughts on NCAA v. Alston. And hey, check us out for future podcasts. We are in the middle of Supreme Court sweep season. Even today, as we are doing this, I'm sure the Supreme Court radically changed the entire area of the law. And so we'll have to hang up this call to find out what that is. Hey, thanks so much, Chris. And we'll see you next time. Thank you very much. Good night. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, Please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support.